Welcome to the first episode of the new Bike Portland podcast. If you're feeling a bit of deja vu, it's because we used to have a monthly podcast from 2013 to about 2016, so this is more like a relaunch than something truly new for us. We're giving it another try because there are so many interesting voices to share and so many important things to talk about. As for what to expect, if you follow us on our other platforms like the Bike Portland website, our social channels, or on YouTube, you'll know that we cover just about everything related to how cycling and mobility in general intersect with our lives. On today's episode, I'll chat with Portlander Molly Cameron. I've covered Molly for over 15 years, going back to the days when she owned a scrappy little bike shop downtown called Velo Shop and was an up-and-coming star of the cyclocross scene. These days, Molly runs a professional women's cycling team and has recently found herself thrust into national headlines for taking a stance against a slew of anti-transgender bills introduced by Republican lawmakers across the United States. Molly is transgender, but as you'll learn from our interview, it's not something she's always put front and center. Now she feels like she has no choice. In early June, Molly launched RIDE, which stands for Riders Inspiring Diversity and Equality, a group she hopes will become a confidential point of contact between the transgender, LGBTQ community, and the cycling industry. When we spoke, she was in the midst of launching her new organization and had just returned from a trip to Arkansas to meet with cycling industry partners and to learn more about how anti-transgender legislation is hurting people in that state. You've certainly been in this work a long time, but you've decided to kind of ramp things up. Can you help people who may not know you as well? T talk to me a little bit about the years leading up to this and some of that work in this space that you've done. Can you tell me something about those experiences, you know, in, in the past five, 10 years, that kind of work you've done behind the scenes? I've just been a visible point of contact for the community, right? And like, in a very broad general way, it's like almost like anybody that's kind of an outlier in cycling. You know, even physically, like personally, I've looked, well, I laugh, I've looked almost the same for like 20 years, but also I was like, I, I presented way much more femi in the, in, I don't want to say the beginning, but when I moved to Portland, you know, I had, I came from San Francisco and I was like wearing skirts more and I definitely wore like more makeup and eyeliner and, you know, little halter tops and stuff. And then it's just interesting. And not a lot of people have talked to me about this, but some have where when I, I started the bike shop out of an, a necessity, like I couldn't get a job in Portland, no bike shop would hire me. Um, I mean, this is something I don't think you and I ever talked about. And it's all related to your question, you know, like I would, I couldn't get a job. There was blatant discrimination and then there was kind of quiet discrimination. You know, I mean, I mean, I went into, I'm not naming any names and I'm not going to put any shops on blast, but shops and managers that are still at shops that exist now, you know, either laughed directly in my face when they like looked at my resume and then looked at me and I kind of said, huh, Molly, or like, you know, some shit, you know, no one, no one said like, you know, hey, we're not going to hire a transgender person, but it's like that subtle discrimination where like, right, like even 20 years ago, I was a very experienced mechanic and I would have been an asset to any business. And I've just been like out in that sense. And, and this is almost the call bullshit on me thing a little bit like, you know, I've, I personally feel like I've never, I've, well, okay, I've never felt comfortable being like, hey, I'm transgender, come support my business. Or, hey, I'm transgender, sponsor me as an athlete and work with me. And, you know, or like, hey, I'm vegan. You know, I've been a vegan forever. And like, you know, there are things about my identity that are in these kind of like, in these communities. And, but 
I'm also haven't been shy about being forward with that. But, you know, it's never been like, I mean, you know, certainly I've been interviewed and it's been like Molly Cameron, vegan, transgender bike shop owner. Right. But in my marketing and stuff and in the, and even in the shop, it wasn't like, I mean, I don't think I've ever actually had a gay pride flag on my bike shop window or like a, any, any visible signifiers that like, Hey, I'm a part of these communities. You know, I don't know if that answered your question, but I just, I became a point of contact. I think, you know, certainly after the first few years, then there was some buzz obviously helped by you and people like you that were like, you know, people are always looking for something that's different in a story and that's interesting. I'm not saying I'm interesting, but <clears throat> I was doing something a little different and, and just slightly outside of the norm within cycling. I'm curious, if you set your shop up like that, did you feel like you had to prove to people that yes. you could just be on par on those kind of more traditional metrics, right? Were you afraid maybe to to be more out in the open? I mean, given that experience? That was absolutely front and center. Like, it's funny, I haven't thought about that in such a long time. I've been saying a lot recently, certainly in the last three months, like I really am coming from a place of so much privilege. Like I'm older, I'm established in the industry and like I have nothing left to prove in bike racing. I have nothing left to prove in the bike industry. Like I'm also white. I also know that like I present as a dude, you know, like I go to any bike race and people from that don't know me, like just look at me and they're like, oh, you know, some fucking bike racer, dude, whatever. So like I have so much privilege, but I haven't, yeah, maybe, maybe that's really solidified itself in the last handful of years, right? The last five or six years or something where even running the women's team, you know, and just being a little more present at a higher level nationally or whatever. And, but yes, in the early days I did, I was like, look, I just want to be a good business. I don't want to be the transgender business or the vegan business or, you know, the punk rock business. Like those are my roots and who I am, but no, I want to be a legit business. And like, that was always the driving thing for me. And even with my team, you know, I'm like, the women's team has always been like, look, these are athletes first. I mean, I even hated calling it a women's team. You know, you always say like, you know, point S, point S tire sponsored mm. by no key and tire, you know, women's team. And I'm like, no, we don't want to call it a women's team. It's just a bike race team. We want to be known just for what we are and who, what we're doing. But then also, I want to respect and amplify women, right? And be like, well, we are women. And this is like, we want to amplify yeah. that this is a women's program. And so, it, uh, But yeah, you're right. Like, I was so conscious of it. I think, God, I mean, you got to remember too, I was like some broke punk rock kid that started a bike shop. And I didn't have like a business plan or funding or like any concept of like, business as business as I know it now. So I was just like doing the thing. I was like, I need to work on bikes to pay my rent. And then that built and developed over time. And then, you know, handful of years into that, it was like, oh God, I need to like make payroll and, you know, and logistics and forecasting. And yeah. So I feel like you, I feel like there's a step you came in, you said, you said, you know, you established yourself as a respected shop owner and, and person in the, in the community, riding, racing, uh, having the shop. And then, you know, I guess fast forward a long time and you did a women's cycling team, which, you know, you didn't, you didn't do a transgender vegan cycling team. Right. Yeah. You know, you did a women's team. So I feel like that's a, another sort of step. And then here you are, you know, coming up here more recently, going, you know, listening to all this bullshit and the news happening with the legislation. And I feel like, yeah. and that's another step. It's like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go for it and do transgender nonprofit trans rights or human rights, right? 
And so there you go. It's kind of like you've, it's almost like you've been avoiding this all this time in a way. And, and now, now I feel like you maybe got to the point in your life where you're like, I've got the skills and the experience, so why not just do it? I mean, is that a kind of a fair assessment of kind of like how this happened? Again, you're like the one person that could actually legitimately ask me that question because no one has been even aware. I mean, that's, you're right. I mean, yeah, I just want to answer your question. Yeah. You know what? You saying that just like, I mean, I have chills. I don't know if you can see the hair standing up on my hairy ass arms. Like I have goosebumps because I think you're right. I think in a way, like I have been avoiding this um, because I just wanted not in a sinister way where like, I don't want to amplify transgender messaging. I mean, you know, you've seen me certainly in the last decade, like I'm, de- I'm more forward with that. And that's front and center. I mean, I've never not been out. Um, I've always been very vocal and direct about who I am, what my identity is, you know, my communities and all this stuff being queer, being trans, you know, but <clears throat> I don't know if I, I mean, again, I haven't been avoiding it in a sinister way, but just, and, and not even in a business way. I mean, that's something really key too. business is business and, 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 and sport is sport. This is something now too. And this is almost at the heart of why I started ride because my intent is never, and has never been to make the sport political or business political. Right. And just as much as I've never led with my identity and been like, I'm a transgender business owner. It's like, no, I'm just a business person like every other business person out there. Um, but yeah, like I haven't been avoiding it for fear of damaging my brand or losing partnerships or not getting deals. I just, you asked that question and it just made me think and made me go, fuck, have I been avoiding this? You know, like, and, 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 and then what happened is this wave of legislation really just like made it easy for me to be like, well, also it didn't make anything. Like I got drawn into this, like it was cyclocross in Arkansas. Right. Yeah. And, um, one thing that I've been talking about a lot, but I was born in Texas. Um, my dad was born in Piggott, Arkansas, in eastern Arkansas. My grandparents were teachers and high school level coaches in Arkansas before they moved to upstate Pennsylvania. When I was, you know, I think I was in my teens. Or I was I was younger, but um, so I'm from the South, and I grew I grew up Southern Baptist. Um, and then my parents were teenagers and my dad joined the military. So I grew up in the military in the 90s. Well, I was born in 76. So in the eighties and then into the early nineties in don't ask, don't tell in the era of this. So it's wild because I'm just drawing back to like, well, now I got drawn into this. I was talking to Jeremy Powers, who is a former professional cyclocross and, you know, he is pro bike racer, road racer, multiple national champion, one of the, you know, better male cross racers of certainly my generation and you know he's just like laying it on he's like we we just were touching base and he's like ah yeah you know you're you're the chosen one here this is like this is like your whole life's work it's a horrible jerry powers impression but he's like laying it on with this like you know massachusetts accent and and it just hit me this is like a month or two ago and i was like fuck you're right like cyclocross bike racing business and then i I kind of like also the south and, you know, I'm not, an, I'm not from Arkansas. I will never say I'm an, an Arkansan, but like I have blood roots from there. And I, you, you know, you couldn't, it's just wild, you know, like you couldn't have scripted this. This whole wave of legislation sweeping the U.S. caught, uh, the, caught everyone by surprise. I mean, I had no idea this stuff was on the table or in, in, you know, dozens, I mean, dozens and dozens of states. And 
it was just like what and it just seemed like it caught the left by surprise and 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 everyone had to be reactive and so that it's just it's just crazy like not only is all the stuff crazy and like voter rights and all these like racist laws and these transphobic and homophobic and anti-women you know the, like texas just passed a sweeping ban on abortion what are you kidding me and it's like you know, I think people felt like we he, we we let out this sigh of relief when Trump lost the election, and you know, as much as we weren't like celebrating Biden winning necessarily, we were like, okay, like at least things can kind of go back to normal. But then it's like, no, no, things aren't going back to normal. Like the right is completely empowered now. The conservative side is like, we can just like do crazy shit, and it's gonna fly and probably pass. And and it's wild. I mean, and that's what. That's what we're seeing as a reaction, certainly in bike racing and the industry of cycling. It's just like no one knows what to do. We're like, oh, my God, what are we doing? And and it just, again, like Powers was like, yeah, you know, this is like your life's work. Like, you're the chosen one here. And I was like, fuck, you're right. Like, I have so much experience in all of these aspects of what's happening. And I can legitimately kind of wade into this. So a month in, I was like, this has to be work. I'm burned out. And like this work is actually easy for me because it's just me being me and this is all in my wheelhouse but if if like if i don't pivot and actually start making this my work i mean my work right now is being an athlete and doing sports and outdoor industry marketing you know and storytelling and like being at races and events and and i'm like well if i don't pivot and start to incorporate some of this policy and advocacy work as my paid work then i'm fucked i'm gonna burn out i mean you know, i'm smart enough i'm not naive enough to think this is gonna go away in a month or two years or 10 years like but if i don't pivot i'm gonna burn out and i'm gonna have to tap out entirely and not do anything and just run my business and just do my thing which didn't sit right with me either so i kind of put the pieces together to be like okay how can i start engaging brands and so here i am trying to navigate working with the USA Cycling and UCI to do the right thing for trans folks. Um, also, this is like bike racing. When I'm in Arkansas, there are, most trans folks aren't a part of the bike racing community. And like, how, how can I best serve and advocate for them when like their family members are dying? Literally, and it's, there's this huge disconnect where like we can know that in our heads and be like, right, like trans youth are dying. Okay, we got to work on this problem, you know? Black youth and black folks are dying. Uh, we, you know, we can be like, oh yeah, we understand this problem now. How do we work on it? But it's another thing to like go there. I mean, I went there because I'm like, I want to be on the ground and physically be there and try to meet these people and talk to them and see what they want to do. And most of them don't care about, they're like, cool, bike race, whatever. How can the bike racing and cycling help us? You know, they're like, we, you know, like, cool. We don't really care about bikes. We're trying to like survive. We're moving families out of the state. I mean, they're actively moving families out of Arkansas because they're like, yeah, this is law now. We can't exist here. And that's a reality that the bike industry isn't. I mean, again, even on the ground in Northwest Arkansas, I'm kind of like, they're aware of the issue. They're paying attention. But look, like, you don't realize how hard this is hitting families and your workforce and your citizens. I feel like you're kind of saying that you would hope that USA Cycling or just the bike industry, to use that more general term, could just maybe be one thing they can do if you're saying they're they're not going to be able to just slow down the huge machine and the money of these big events. Uh, could they be more clear about their stance on you know transgender participation? Is that 
And maybe that's, is that you're saying like a role Riot can have? It's like, okay, we're going to make sure that your communication and all your, all your ducks are all lined up much more sort of stronger and clearer about how you feel about transgender people competing. Is that kind of like what, what you're saying you would, you would hope that they would do is be, you know, just, just have some clarity around that, at least to give some foundation to the issue. Cause do you feel like right now there's not you, like, transgender folks and uh, don't really know where they stand? And that was part of the anxiety. Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate for USA cycling that a bad interview with their CEO was like one of the first public facing pieces of, you know, information in response to all this. And then it just kind of followed up with these missteps. Yeah, I th- I, this, one thing I see a lot when, when I look at, at how the bike industry reacts to some of these, not new issues, but issues that have become much more uh, sharp in the last couple of years, right? Social justice related issues. Um, is this is this real thing? And maybe you felt it too, but there's there's a real sort of posy vibe culture in the bike world where, hey, it's all, it's all good. We're just here to ride bikes. You know, it's all cool. No big deal. And I think, do you think sometimes that like maybe blinds people to the fact that if you don't actually see things and engage some difficult things, the people who do are more hurt. And remind me what you said about, um, you know, earlier, earlier when we were chatting about like, oh no, yeah, we're inclusive. We believe everybody. But if, but it's almost like if they don't actually like speak it and say it and, and, you know, somehow acknowledge that transgender people don't feel like they have a place in racing, right. that it hurts those people. I mean, is that kind of like, do you, do you sense that too in, in, with USA Cycling? So it, with regards to USA Cycling, no. I think USA Cycling is taking all of this DEI, diversity and inclusion work, very seriously. I honestly, I really do. I believe that. I mean, that's the thing. I'm not here to throw USAC under the bus. As much as I like, don't, I generally don't trust that they're equipped or should be the organization leading the charge here. I do also respect and want to acknowledge, like publicly, they're actually doing the work. It's not a personal slight to them. I just don't know if our sporting mm. governing body needs to be the one like transforming itself into a social justice and advocacy org. But they are doing the work. My issue is that. They're not there yet. I I feel like I know what I want them to do, but, you know, I kind of want them to take a back seat and let... Yeah. Again, it's not that I'm trying to position Ride as like, well, we're here now. We need to be the leaders. But I'm like, it, with all of this stuff on single issues, right? I'm like, if we're talking about police violence in the black community, I want to see black people involved in the leadership of these movements and agenda items, you know? Like, I want to be an ally and I want to be there, but like, I'm, I'm not black. I'm not the person to be talking about the black experience. So that's basically it. I kind of was like, well, until USA Cycling hires a a member of the transgender community, um, you know, and they absolutely have members of the LGBTQ community working there. But I'm like, no, actually on this issue, like you really need Mm -hmm. to have a transgender voice like spearheading this from USAC. You know, really, <laughs> I don't know what I want y'all to do. Let's mm. figure it out. But I know I don't want you to be at the at taking the lead on this. I mean, and I wouldn't want honestly any bike brand to at this point. No bike brand has a. I mean, USA Cycling doesn't have a history of. I mean, because also let's just go back. This is politics in Arkansas. This is politics across the United States. You know, again. USA Cycling shouldn't be wading into like these political and legal battles. They don't have a history or track record of doing any actual like real political work or legal work. Because your question kind of was like, well, what about the um, 
awareness of the stuff and the visibility. And one of the first things I told the CEO on a call the week after the first law was like, you already have an existing policy for transgender and non-binary participation in sport from the professional level to the beginner and amateur level. It already exists. It's there. Now, you have one page on your website that says, here is our policy, and it's a link. It's a link to the pot policy page in their rule book. I've been doing this work for like 20 years, and I just told USA Cycling, I was like, look, first thing I suggested was like, I'm still dealing with transgender men reaching out to me and being like, I want to race. I want to get involved in bike racing, but I'm afraid because I'm taking hormone replacement therapy and I'm taking testosterone and is that technically doping? And then I say, no, it's not. And here, let me help you navigate that. I mean, I'm doing this work and I have been. And USA Cycling still isn't equipped to do it. Like they're starting to do the work and now this is all front and center. But I'm like, I told the CEO, I was like, you need to, I will fly to Colorado Springs and we can produce a video and it'll look just like this. It'll be a couple of us as a transgender, experienced, old, haggard, transgender athlete. And maybe we get someone from USAC there and we talk or maybe some other trans athletes. And we do an, an informational video where we can explain what the, what, how um, a transgender or non-binary athlete can interface with USA Cycling and get involved and what the process is and who the points of contact are. What, you know, what do you need to provide? Because right now, like, there's not a point of contact for this community, you know? And there really should be. I mean, it there needs to be a way for people to confidentially interface with these governing bodies, with these brands, and then know what the process is. And it's just, like, not there. Right now, you just, like, fire an email off. And, that, and honestly, like, you want to talk about making the sport inclusive and welcoming, that is a barrier right there. And then the other thing too is a video like that will serve to educate all of the haters and the people that don't want to see transgender in, involved in the sport to be like, hey, there's actually been a policy for this since the early 2000s. So and that was my first thing. I was like, look, Rob, we need to produce this video and your next press release should just say, we're two sentences, we're assessing the situation as these laws sweep the nation. Give us a little time to develop a response. The second line should be, here is our transgender policy for participation in sport. It's the same policy that the UCI and the International Olympic Committee has. And we are all going to adhere to that policy in regards to our events and athlete participation across the United States. That, if I was the CEO of that organization, you know, I would have come out with that. A very simple one paragraph, two lines, two sentences, and then... But no, they come out with a two-page rambling press release talking about all their accolades and, and all the events they produce and all this stuff. And I'm like, this community has members that are dying. Their youth and their families are dying. And now it, these laws are laws in these states. And so it just, I think USAC a lot is like, oh, we can't do much. We can't do much. But yet they're trying to like lead the charge and be like, we're going to do all this stuff. And I'm like, well, the championships are going to go on. And so there's going to be a lot of work to do. I mean, this issue, partly because you're not going to let it, it's not going to, it's not, people aren't going to be quiet about this. Yeah. Trans kids aren't going away. Kids are amazing. I love it. Kids are amazing. I, I just want to, like, there's so much positive coming out of this. It's really hard because 
you know, like I'm directly talking. I mentioned that hospital, uh, Memorial Hospital in Fayetteville, where like they're like, look, the day that that law got signed into law, kids were killing themselves. And like, it's really hard for me. And this is like thing that's emotionally hard is like this work is easy for me in cycling in the industry around, um, you know, gender and sexuality. But like, it's hard for me to be like, why am I fighting so hard for bike racing to help bike racing in the bike industry fix itself when like kids are dying in Arkansas. And I just, I know that I'm like, sure, I could go back to Arkansas now and just start working on the streets with some of these orgs that are like literally helping relocate families and do this hard work. But there's a much larger and longer term, like higher level, I mean, it's almost, I hate using war analogies and battle analogies, but it's this like social war, you know, and if I can help fight this culture war and start steering these large businesses and brands that can affect a lot of this stuff. I mean, that's going to, that's my strength and my wheelhouse, but yeah, it's, it, it, there's a lot of positive change coming. I can definitely say, you know, USA cycling is doing the work. Are they going to do it perfect? No, but they're doing the work, right? These big bike brands and, and businesses, that's kind of partly why I've started ride because I can tell you some of them are, some of them have their shit together and are killing it. Others, not so much. And I'm not going to do the shame thing. That doesn't work, right? I want to go and like interface and use all, all of my legitimacy and credibility as a pro bike racer and a team manager. And you know, I'm so invested in this sport and industry. And I can be like, look, I want to help us get better. I didn't coin this phrase, uh, bike washing. And bike, like the sport and industry loves to bike wash. Bikes are great. Everything's great. Bikes. I mean, you know, you've seen it over the two of us have seen it 20 years in Portland. And it's just like, we want to bike wash everything and make it great. You know, our city's great because we have bike lanes. It's like, no, you know, their city has a lot of issues. There's a ton of issues, you know, and it's not all cycling's fault, but cycling absolutely has the money and power and influence and infrastructure and people in it that we can do something. Yeah, especially in Arkansas, right? I mean, I wouldn't sell yourself short in terms of being a, a cycling forward activist in Arkansas actually carries a bit more weight right. than than other places, like you said, because of the big money there that's that's investing in cycling. So again, I, I just see the, the championships thing coming up as a as a real opportunity to have that stage and to push some of this stuff, right? Yes. The other crazy thing about Arkansas is there is so much money in cycling there and there are so many I mean there's wow. over hundred and twenty clubs and teams in the region. And you would think like like, if yeah, you were like, right. oh, Portland, there's 120 yeah. cycling clubs. Right. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. But you're like, wait, Arkansas, what? There's so much. I mean, cycling really is, as much as we hate the bike washing aspect, it is this, like, bikes are freedom. And cycling is this, like, amazing unifier. It can bring people together. I mean, and there's so much infrastructure in Arkansas, but it all that also makes it a bit of a challenge. But I'm, I'm directly interfacing with a lot of these organizations I can't partner with everyone. And I also know as much as I'm finding allies in Arkansas, there are definitely enemies in Arkansas that don't want to support people of color or queers or trans folks, right? So fine, sure. Let's just not, let's not politicize the sport. Let's not politicize the industry, which is kind of cool because then I end up hanging out with like these total right-wing conservative kooks. But then we get this common ground of bikes and then I'm the gateway, I'm, I'm the gateway drug to trans, the transgender community. 
I get it. I'm white. A, I'm white. A, I present male. And so it sounds like you want to use the you know the posi vibe thing to your advantage to bring people in and and keep oh, the yeah. politicization out of oh, it absolutely. to some degree so that people come into it. I, I get what you're saying. I think about that a lot too. Get everybody inside the tent and at least let them hear what's being said before they decide to yeah. to leave. So it's a fine line though. You're gonna have to pref- you're gonna have to really you're gonna have to really right, walk oof, that line. Voice is cracking. Right. Right. Yeah, like I'm gonna keep doing this. And it's great because we're both in these good positions where we can come in and like kind of just be ourselves and then well, listen. I mean it is interesting because I'm not I feel like I'm dipping my toes into being a journalist, not a journalist, but like I love to be taking photos and more video and stuff now. And I really do actually, I'm starting to love just like being present and listening. And I will listen to some right wing kook. I will give them the space to talk and say that stuff. But ultimately, and this is what has been echoed now as I interface with these executives and like high level executive levels at these national and global brands in the cycling industry and the sport and they just want facts because you get money and facts like we're not gonna and i'm holding space for like the emotional part of this again trans kids are dying black folks are dying you know like these are realities that like i need to hold space for but when I go into a business meeting, you know, I'm not going to start off with these incendiary, you know, you have to pay attention to me because people are dying. No, that's not going to work. I'm going to say you need to pay attention to me because there are dollars here and there are membership and consumer dollars here. And I mean, that's business. And that's the thing that so many people struggle with. And I can exist in that space and I'm comfortable in that space. I don't love it. You know, I really don't. I don't I don't love meetings and boardrooms and I don't love the corporate stuff it's but like it's a this necessary evil that i can leverage all my privilege to help help our communities you know and and literally i laughed i was like i'm trying to help people that don't look like me in every way right i can go and legitimately i mean again you know like legitimately speak to this experience in the sport in racing in bikes in bike shops at the industry level and brands and manufacturing like here we go so now I'm doing it. Now I'm doing it and I'm trying to I'm working really hard on like the next actual steps whether it's with USA cycling without USA cycling, you know, and the world's is going to happen so I'm working with like people and individuals and organizations and businesses like in Fayetteville in Bentonville, Arkansas. Yeah, it's a lot. I'm not I'm not riding bikes or anything right now. All I do is I'm sitting here in front of like, you know, yeah. three or four screens trying to just get shit going and and start getting back out to events. How far away until you're showing up as ride versus showing up as, I mean, you still have your other irons in the fire, right? The urgency to to be present and put energy into all of this advocacy work in a general way in my mm-hmm. role with ride is the priority right now. This really overlaps with me doing all this, like, you know, being an athlete and being at events and right. doing sports marketing and then supporting women. So it's complementary to the, the stuff you've been doing already. Yeah. And, and also, you know, it's not like I started ride and now I've got hundreds of thousands of dollars in funding and I can like pay myself and pay some staff and do all this work. It's like, no, part of this, this year feels like I'm going to work on these issues and try to help, and interface with USA Cycling mm-hmm. and all these orgs. If USA Cycling hired a transgender person of color to be their CEO this week, cool. 
then like we'd interface for a little and I think the reasons for ride to exist, you know, will change. And that's really when I started it, I was like, okay, I'm going to start this org. Last thing I need is more things on my plate, but I, I, I need to do this and I'm in the position to do this and I'm happy to hand it off. I'm happy to step back. I'm happy if, you know, again, in six months, if like the, you know, we get through the world championships mm. and if the urgency and the need isn't there, like it is, I mean, again, there's these discriminatory laws. Maybe I end up going and working for athlete ally mm-hmm. or some higher level org. Right. And I'm old. I'm 45 this year. I don't want to keep being a pro bike racer. I really don't. Like I have no, I love bikes so much and I love cycling. I love racing. My heart is in being a racer. Yeah. Now, it's a lot of work. Yeah, I, I got to spend 20 hours a week on my bike training to get to a point where I can just like barely be competitive with these fast pros. And, you know, it's a lot of work. And I don't, I don't, it's not that I don't have the drive to be a pro. It's just a lot of work. And as I'm getting older, being fast at a high level is harder and harder and harder. And like, you know, that's the reality of getting old. And I'm like, well, look, maybe the Molly, Molly Cameron version 3.0 looks like a pivot into doing this advocacy Mm -hmm. and work in business and sport right and so i'm in a good position it's just practically a good transition here for me to and it's just like horrible i take no pleasure in the fact that like these laws are on the table and this work has to be done now but uh, it's a good time and position for me to kind of like go okay i can do this work you know we did some good fundraising there's a little bit of money there for me to do this work for like a month you know the coming month or two i'm like cool like i have the capacity to start doing this stuff now what does you know the fall and winter look like i'm still trying to like find room to train this summer to like Mm. have a cross season and race my bike but if that doesn't happen because i'm get drawn into this policy and legal work okay that's fine then i'm gonna do that i don't want to say i'm not at risk of losing partnerships or anything because i still absolutely am you know at a certain point i've had conversations with these brands where they're like look we support you because you're a fast athlete not because you're a political activist and yeah that's why i love talking to you in this moment given what you're going what you're pivoting to because i'm not so sure what you just said is always going to be true as soon as you start to take a stand on policy stuff and things get difficult uh, you might you know those emails may go differently but that's yes you're gonna have to i feel like you're you're sounding like you're ready for that and you're you're not naive to think that you know, it's always going to be hunky-dory if you continue to it's go down wild. this path. And I also have very long relationships here. I mean, these are like over decade-long sponsorships and partnerships. And having these calls with them, I mean, you know, these are st- these brands are all over the U.S. They're, you know, they're, whether they're their U.S. headquarters for a global brand or national headquarters for a national brand. Like, mm. and they're in states that have these laws, like Idaho, Utah. I mean, luckily, California and Oregon are around the good side of things but like yeah you know in the south in these southern states so having these conversations and starting with like look you know we're not i'm not trying to make this political we don't want to make this sport political and these brands are like look we're never going to say anything political so i can leverage my decades of these relationships and go look i know you don't want to make this political and we're not going to make it political but how how can i be an asset to you i even say that to you you know like everybody i'm like how can i help i i know that Shimano and SRAM, Giant Specialized, Cannondale, Trek, these huge, huge global brands. They're going to tackle this in their own ways, but <laughs> how can you make them more how can you make them more political without becoming too political, <laughs> basically. But 
I mean, uh, and this yeah. is the question yeah. I'm asking myself every day, right? It's kind of that same question. What do I want USA Cycling to do? Yeah. Right? Is this fundamental thing here? And then I'm also like, what do I want Ride to do and Molly Cameron to do? And like, how do we tackle these social issues without making them political? And one of the women on my advisory board um, was like, look, it isn't politics. This is human decency. <laughs> you know, she's like, some of this stuff will yeah. be political and is legal and political. But like, she's like, also like, these are basic human rights and it's it's important to reframe that for these brands that like this isn't a political discussion this is human decency like this is just being a good human bike bike industry just wants to be like we're here and we support you because you're a fast bike racer i mean i had i had that call with the sponsor yesterday and they're like we're not wading into this we're going to support you because you're fast Right. And it wasn't a veiled threat. It wasn't it wasn't like, hey, we're going to stop supporting you once you're fast. But that's on the table. Like once I again, once I stop being a pro bike racer, what's the reason to support me with product and with money? I absolutely face losing sponsorship and, and money and opportunities. So there's a way that I can continue to be involved and be an influencer, not to the public, but like to the industry and to the sport and and help the sport be engaged in these social issues without them having to come forward and be political, right? And maybe that's the subversive way I can I can help these brands. It's it's self-serving in the sense that like I want everyone to be able to go to a bike event and feel welcome and comfortable. And I'm such a private person. Like I really don't want to be in the public. I mean, maybe the end goal here is I just disappear and I'm doing anonymous work behind the scenes with a better funded and larger organization and I can just like hide out, pull the strings behind the scenes. Maybe I show up to an event or two, you know, but right now this is my lot. It's really, really good to talk. I appreciate, appreciate you sharing all that, uh, especially at this, at this moment of it. It's like, you know, your fundraising is, looks like it's going to reach the goal, which is a good sign. I feel like you kind of, kind of get some of the work you've got to do and there's tons of stuff coming up. So I don't know, maybe we'll check in again in a few months. All right. Keep in touch. I definitely will keep in touch, Molly. Thanks. And thanks for listening to this first episode of the relaunch of the Bike Portland podcast. Our theme music is a track called Broken Summer from the audio library. I'm your host, Jonathan Moss. Thanks for bearing with me while I figure out how all this um, audio editing stuff goes. And of course, don't forget to stay tuned and subscribe and all that good stuff because we've got some great conversations coming up.